there is an awful lot of preamble that I wish I had the time to say. So I'll say a little bit of the preamble. First of all, happy Mother's Day. This may be the weirdest Mother's Day any of you have ever experienced. Certainly it's weird for us to be doing worship in this way, but I do want to wish her happy Mother's Day, even though for, for many of us, uh, Mother's Day may be very atypical to what a Mother's Day looks like. Um, also, lots has happened in our lives since we uh, met together here. Uh, I do want to especially express condolences to, to Larry, uh, to see him sitting there without Janet. It, it breaks all of our, our hearts, and uh, we continue to pray for you. Uh, remember the Shaw family in our prayers with Janet's um, passing. Uh, sometime this summer, the family is looking at doing a, a memorial to, to honor her life uh, at that point. I am especially glad because I get to see somebody's face other than my own when I preach. Uh, I have been looking at my own reflection for uh, far too long. So if you think Craig's off, maybe through these last two weeks, we're not sure whether he sanely made it through. It's because of that face that's been haunting me, glaring back at me. So I will trade my face for yours any day, uh, even, even masked as they, as they are. But we are thankful uh, for those of you who are able to be here, uh, those on the, the internet, I know we're having some issues this morning that we're trying to get figured out, um, but we will do our best to get uh, that, um, that arranged. But most of all, I'm excited to share good news because I think that we are living in a time and in an age where we could just certainly use good news, can't we? Uh, if you are a person who watches the news, I'm guessing it's not been a very pleasant, enjoyable experience. It's been uh, anxious, it's been tense, it's been overwhelming. And so I want to just simply share some good news with you and we're gonna jump in with a story. There was a certain doctor who was being honored at her Retirement, and several people were invited to be a part of that, and two reformed patients were asked to give speeches. The first was a woman who very early in this doctor's career had a, a tonsillectomy, and, and it's a very common, very normal procedure. The only reason that she was asked to speak was because it was one of the doctor's first surgical procedures. And as she got up and she gave her, uh, her speech, it was replete with these adjectives of being thankful and grateful and appreciative. And she talked about how much of a difference that the doctor had made just in a very common, everyday sort of surgical procedure. But after that first speech was a second uh, speech by a person who had a craniectomy, a, a procedure where they cut a piece of your brain out and they start probing around in the really sensitive parts of your brain. It's a high risky surgery, uh, that the complications and the side effects can be really serious. And so this was, a, this was a man whose life had been saved by this high-risk surgery performed by this doctor. So whenever he got up to give his speech, everybody in the audience started to grab their Kleenexes because they were sure after that first person's speech that this was going to be a highly emotional speech. And so that man walked up to the podium stage area and he leaned in towards the microphone and he said um, I was told they would give me a hundred dollars if I came and gave a speech thanking the doctor so uh, thanks doc where's my hundred dollars and he sat right down 
Now, which of these two do you think exemplifies the kind of kingdom gratitude that honors God? So what I just told you was something called a parable. Uh, a parable that in no way compares with the kinds of parables that Jesus tells. But what we're going to be doing over the next several weeks is we're going to be looking at the parables, Jesus' most common way of teaching people. And before we taught about or explained or studied the parables, I wanted us, first of all, to just purely experience a parable. Because parables are, first and foremost, something to be experienced more than they are something to be studied. Uh, I think that what E.B. White said about jokes would apply to parables. E.B. White said, uh, explaining a joke is like dissecting a frog. At the end of it, you might more know, know more about it, but it's going to be dead. And the same thing I think is true of a joke is the same thing is true of a parable, that if you, if you say a parable and then at the end of it you say, now here's the point, then everybody will say, well then just why didn't you just give me the point? But Jesus as a teacher of parables, and so we want to be looking over the next several weeks at some of his parables. And so I've picked what I believe is Jesus' shortest parable. Since we have a, a short service, we need a short parable. And so I'm going to begin reading in Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. This is a parable encased in a larger narrative. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house, and he took up his place at the table. And a woman in the city, who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet, anointing them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known what kind of a woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And Jesus spoke up to him and said, Simon, I have something to tell you. He replied, speak. Now, I want you to ask yourself, what are the next words out of your mouth? You've just witnessed something that you find to be inappropriate or distasteful or wrong. And I suspect that whatever we say in response to that is something that would be narrow, it would be definitive, and it would be direct. We would say something along the lines, Simon, you're being a jerk. Cut it out. Or we might say, oh, Simon, you want to be all holier than thou, but this woman's actually treated me better than you've treated me. We would likely give some of this kind of answer. But here's what comes out of Jesus' mouth next. Luke 7, beginning in verse 41. A certain creditor had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not repay, he canceled the debts of both of them. Now which of them will love him more? Jesus responds with a parable and Jesus responds with a question which both of those things are opposite of something that is narrow, that it is, and is directive. A very wide open answer. In fact, I, I was thinking about how Jesus was teaching, and I was wondering if you had an opportunity to hire Jesus as your preacher, would you want him to preach at your congregation? Now, of course, we know the right answer, which is yes. But as we look closely at the Gospels, there are some things that Jesus does that we might not... Um, we might not exactly want this to be our common teaching. Do you know that Jesus only directly answers three of the 183 questions asked of him? So then what does he do when people ask him questions? The, the thing that he will do is he will either say nothing, 
Or the other thing that he will do is he will respond with a question of his own. In the Gospels, Jesus asks 307 questions. He's asking questions more than he's directing people. And when he does respond, he will often respond indirectly with a parable. So if Jesus, if you went to Jesus with a direct question about something, you would likely get one of these three answers. And very, very rarely would you get a direct answer to your question. See, instead of kicking down the front door with his teaching, which is what I think we tend to do, Jesus sneaks around the back door and he kind of quietly knocks on the door and he says, hey, if you want to let me in, I've got something to teach you. And so he begins with this parable, a certain creditor had to debtors. Parables most often begin very casual and ordinary ways. There's nothing significant or amazing about these two people. In fact, Eugene Peterson says of parables that they are subversive. What they do and what they're intended to do is relax your defenses. That you don't even see anything special happening. Jesus doesn't say, hey, I'm going to take you to a church setting and I'm going to tell you something about God or I'm going to take you to talk about the magnificence of God. Jesus starts with the kinds of things that you would find in the grocery store or at the gym or at the workplace. And so he says that a certain creditor had two debtors. It's like starting off a story saying a bank had several car loans or a credit card, com credit card company had a few people who owed them money. Certainly nothing compelling enough to attract us. And then Jesus said, one owed 500 denarii and the other owed 50. It's like saying the one guy with the car loan owed $35,000 and the other guy owed $10,000. One customer owed $70,000 in credit card debt and another customer owed $20,000 in credit card debt. And then Jesus says, when they could not pay. And this is where the parables require us to pay close attention is because they will often do something different than what we expect them to do. Because we have expectations when somebody can't pay their car loan, when somebody can't pay their credit card debt, we have expectations, don't we? What will they do? They will send you a letter and demand their money. They will call you and ask you for their money. They will um, hand the account over to collections. They will try to garnish your wages. We have all these options of the kinds of things somebody will do when the debt is not paid. But instead of doing what we expected, Jesus answers by saying that he canceled the debts for both of them. And all of a sudden we are surprised because parables don't always go as expected. And when it takes that turn, it shocks us in a way that we say this is amazing, this is surprising, that the ordinary has just turned into something extraordinary. And I think that that in many ways is the biggest challenge for us in reading the parables because often when we read the parables, we expect them to do exactly what they do. Because we've read them so much. We're so familiar with them that often that, that experience of, wow, this is something so unique, so different, it often just passes us over because we don't have that expectation shock that Jesus often did. And so as we teach the parables, one of the things that we want to try to do is to recreate. What would it be like to hear Jesus saying that in that way, surprising? our expectations. Now, the most, most common thing Jesus does after he tells the parables, essentially he does a mic drop and he exits stage left and everybody's sitting there saying, what? What was that about? What was the meaning? What was the teaching? But this particular parable does something a little bit different where Jesus is going to help walk Simon through this parable to make sure he comes to the right understanding. So after telling the parable, Jesus then reaches to this, the first cousin of a parable, which is a question. 
and he asks Simon the question, now which of these will love him more? The, the word for love conveying the sense of gratitude. So you see how Simon, he's invited into the process? This isn't, this isn't Jesus saying, here, Simon, is what you need to think and what you need to feel. But he asks Simon, say, what would it feel like to be in this situation and in this context? Simon says, well, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Now, have we got to the point of a parable when we can say, here, I've judged what's the right behavior, what's the right action demanded here? No, because the point of a parable is often to stimulate a new way of living or a new way of relating to God in this world. So you don't get the point of the parable when you get the point of the parable. You get the point of the parable when you begin living in the kind of a way that the parable is explaining or describing. So that's what parables do. They point us in certain directions. And if we understand the parable, but we don't understand the direction it's pointing in, we may often find ourselves lost. And so here, once again, Jesus is helping Simon understand it. This is Luke 7, verses 44 and following. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and, gave, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. See, the parable is pointing to the ideal way of living in light of the coming kingdom and ministry of King Jesus. And it's a way of saying this kind of woman is living the kind of a life that Jesus wants people to live in response to him. See, the Gospels have been saying, Luke is talking about Jesus as this one of whom the prophets of old talked about. Uh, John is talking about this is the one of whom the salvation of the world is coming on. And so when Jesus comes uh, into your, your house, you would expect to see him as something significant and something special. Now, how Simon treats Jesus is certainly not below the cultural norm. These things that Jesus points out is not saying you are a rude host or, or you were a bad host. It is simply Jesus' way of saying you did not go over and beyond in any sort of way at all. For Simon, when Jesus comes over, it's business as usual. It's just another day at the office. Jesus is, in Simon's opinion, an average man who deems average hospitality. But compare that to this woman. A woman who offered a welcome where she goes far beyond the cultural expectations. She welcomes him in ways that are above normal. In fact, the word that Luke uses here as he talks about is her tears were, were dripping. Uh, he uses the word for rainfall. So she's standing there. She's, she's crying so heavily that, heavily that she's creating this rain puddle on Jesus' feet. And she begins to dry and to wash his feet with her own hair. Because she knows when Jesus comes and the kingdom of God comes, when the forgiveness comes through him, that you don't go on with life as normal. See, through this COVID-19, none of us have been able to go on with life as normal, have we? Things have changed drastically and dramatically as a result of it. And so too was the kingdom of heaven. That when it comes, things change drastically and dramatically. And Jesus offers this woman forgiveness of a reminder of the forgiveness of sins that he has given her see i'm thankful to be able to share the good news and the good news is that jesus has come into the world 
His presence is so world-altering, so changing, that we don't go back to life as normal. As we think about the abnormal things in our world, our lives have been disrupted. And there's a lot of things that's bad news out there, things to, to burden us, to weigh us down, to get us down. But this morning, I just simply wanted us to be reminded that in the midst of everything that's going on, there is a man who came into the world and altered everything in it because he gave forgiveness of sins and he brought into our lives the kingdom of God. And we can be aware. The one thing that Simon knew about this woman, but there was something he didn't know. He knew that she had many sins. And Jesus knew that also. But in the presence of her many sins was his great forgiveness. And regardless of the multitude of sin that's present, the forgiveness is always greater. And that's a message that I think is worth reminding ourselves of. This gift. And as Christians, I think that the attitude we have is of thanksgiving. Because we live in a gracious response to a gracious God. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. over us as we depart from here. We pray that you keep us safe. You keep us healthy. That you help all of our congregation, not, not only those here, but those who are meeting later and those who are at home. That you keep all of us um, healthy and, and safe. And uh, help us to be patient during this time until we can all meet together again. We pray your blessing on each of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.